welcome to the film hole podcast i am raul i'm trevor and i'm a scientist and i'm a filmmaker and every week or so we watch a movie and we get together and talk about it sometimes we watch a few movies because this week is a bonus episode bonus episode which essentially just means that we have so many good movies we want to watch we don't want to like have to wait one whole week mm-hmm. until we can get through our queue of movies right. we really want to watch so we just sneak one in in the middle yeah. of the week you touched on i think what's pretty accurate that the emerging theme of like the podcast as a whole seems to be nostalgia mm-hmm. at the beginning i thought it was just random and there's definitely like movies that are in the queue that are things that we haven't seen so they're not nostalgic in that way but definitely we're kind of drawing on our own knowledge of movies and that's yeah. how that list is forming but our bonus episodes so far have kind of strictly been more like movies of the moment. Yeah. And I guess that wasn't really done deliberately. It just so happens that uh, we try to hit contemporary stuff with the sort of mini episodes. So this week we watched a new Spike Lee movie that premiered on Netflix a couple of weeks ago called The Five Bloods and directed by Spike Lee. Also the... Uh, that that KU professor, that film professor, also has writing credits. My on this uh, movie. yeah, my first film professor ever, uh, Kevin Wilmot, has a writing credit on this, as well as um, Black Klansman. Right. So like when he uh, when that film professor returned from the Oscars last year, it was like a really big deal. I bet, and and he's just doing like great right now with this new movie. I it's cool. I got to like uh, film part of him when he he was like honored at a basketball game. And there was this, like, uh, he came out and, like, they made this a big announcement. And he was on center court and he, like, showed his Oscar to the crowd. It's kind of this very, like, gladiatorial moment. He, like, raised it up. He's like, oh, wow. The crowd's, like, going crazy. <laughs> Can you educate me on that? Did he win an Oscar for Black KKK Klansman yeah, like himself so, for writing? Yeah. So Black Klansman was, it won, like, best screenplay, right? Yeah, I think best screenplay and so every person who is like credited with writing on that got an oscar nice and yeah yeah that, i should say we i saw that movie not that long ago black kkk klansman i just say black klansman and i th- i've heard other people say it that way but i'm sure both is fine black k klansman black k- klansman yeah <laughs> but yeah so i just saw that recently didn't catch it when it came out and i was getting a lot of buzz a few years ago but Caught it now and was like really impressed. And then I wasn't even aware that The Five Bloods was a movie by Spike Lee. Oh, really? Uh, Grace had to educate me on that. Mm. And so I was completely down to watch it. I'll say one last thing about Black Klansman and we can talk about The Five Bloods. Uh, when that did come out, so you know the whole premise, it's like based off of a real detective mm-hmm. who actually did that, which is just crazy. Like that whole, that that really happened is just fucking bananas to me. Yeah. Regardless of how much of it is like creative liberties or not, just the concept alone is nuts. But uh, the real guy that it's based off of, I forget the detective's name. There was this like special event that I covered for my job where they screened Black Klansmen at the theater here in town. Like the public was allowed to come and they actually did a Q&A with Kevin Wilmot and the real detective afterwards. Wow, he was there. Now, I appreciate that yeah. much more. You told me this story... A, a year or two ago but okay that is yeah. so cool yeah that the was, real cop guy was there it's funny because i feel like that's as m- much of a celebrity as that cop felt like because afterwards like he was like signing autographs and stuff uh-huh. <laughs> which i don't think probably happened a lot even in the wake of that movie right right anyways the five bloods do you want to get into it you just want to start laying out what happens yeah sure i think the The plot is pretty basic. But it's a cool, interesting premise, just like the idea of uh, black Vietnam veterans. Yeah. Uh, Even just the story that centers around black Vietnam veterans is pretty cool because I I like war movies in general um, Uh and Vietnam movies specifically. And they're always like, um, so it turns out like they made up around 30% of like the fighting soldier population during that war. Oh, wow. And so... Vietnam movies always like definitely have black actors in them to represent that, but the yeah. stories are usually kind of like 
centered around the white character. So it was cool to have like that amount of specificity in this movie. Yeah. And like very intentionally, the fact that it was focusing on an all like black uh, platoon is significant in and of itself. And I just think that surely that existed based on the percentage of soldiers that there that were black in that war. Yeah, well, they but make we, it seem like, um, I think historically, that there might have been like some amount of segregation happening. Yeah, I mean, just... I'm, I might not be sure about that, actually. I'm not a historian, but like I am generally familiar with like the idea of putting black soldiers on the front line because they were probably seen as more expendable. There's just generally like a history in America of like using blacks as soldiers for like the worst part of war. I think that's like a narrative that you can broadly understand if you look at our history of wars. But the plot itself like follows this like black group of soldiers. I don't know what to call their unit. Maybe just call them a unit. <laughs> but they discover like on a mission, they discover some gold. Yeah, sorry. That... This is just like the movie Three Kings. Have you seen that movie? Three Kings? No. Yeah, it was like a um, early 2000s movie, I think, starring George Clooney and some other people. But it's the exact same setup. They're uh, American soldiers fighting in the first Persian Gulf War, so the 90s. And okay. they find a stash of gold behind enemy lines, like Iraqi gold or something like that. Okay. And then the whole movie is them trying to basically steal it and take it for themselves. Huh. That is pretty on the nose. <laughs> it is super on the nose. I, I, yeah. This movie is not based on any kind of factual story, is it? Like no, black I, don't, cake. I don't think so, no. Basic premise is they... They find some gold, like kind of like you said, behind enemy lines, and then they're in a situation where like their helicopter goes down and no one knows that they found it, and so they decide to bury the gold with the hopes that they will uh, leave Vietnam when the war is over and then come back later to recover the gold for themselves. Right, right. I don't know if they thought that far ahead, but that's how it pans out. And so the whole movie kind of is this back and forth between flashbacks of their time in Vietnam and their present day adventure, which is them going back to find and dig up this gold. Right, right. And then it kind of turns into like things go wrong. I've heard it described as like simple plan goes awry, which is like, I guess, a kind of a normal plot mechanic in other movies. Yeah, I want to talk like, more about this because that this is like the last thing that I expected from this movie that it would because it really ramps up at the end, right? Yeah. As far as the action, mm-hmm. did not expect that at all. Yeah. Every time a- like an action scene happened, I'm like, oh, okay, like that's the last action sequence that happens. Like that's too crazy already. It's probably yeah. going to slow down for a while and they're going to deal with the repercussions of that. <laughs> but it just keeps rolling. I'll get more into this, but I'll I'll say right up front that like this is not my like favorite movie in the world. I think it's got some some cool stuff going on and certainly is like extremely relevant politically and socially as as a movie by itself it it does a lot of really strange things which is not uncommon for spike lee but i i don't know it just like caught me off guard every single time like (laughs) at no point did i have did i feel like i had this movie figured out no i agree and then maybe that's partially my fault like i was expecting a certain kind of movie going into it like Mm -hmm. maybe something that was less action focused and more subtle and emotional i mean i'm just gonna say it like flat out like the last hour of this movie is like a crazy shootout action action sequence beyond belief how how unrealistic like the last half of this movie is (laughs) yeah my opinion on that is it kind of doesn't do any favors for the movie at large is turning into this like huge action set piece I think you you kind of compared it to like a Quentin Tarantino movie, and I agree with that assessment as far as like there's just a lot of over the top things happening in this movie, but there also seems to be like completely like grounded things happening in this movie, so yeah. it doesn't it doesn't commit one way or the other. It, yeah, I, I of the criticism that I've seen of this movie, like pretty much solely centers on the second half of the movie and how. Mm-hmm. Like, they set up a lot of, like, cool stuff in the first half of the movie, but there's very little space in the second half to really go that deep into any of it. Yeah. Because the is, whole situation just unravels so quickly. That's my biggest criticism, is I think there's just... 
I've, I was listening to another podcast about this just earlier today, but like a lot of people were saying the same thing where there's just a lot of stuff in here. Some people describe it as like super ambitious, which I think is a really nice way of putting it. <laughs> like it has a lot of, a lot of different themes that it doesn't quite, just because of the sheer amount of stuff in it, it doesn't really have enough time to like fully develop any one of them. Maybe like one or two, but I feel like a, there was stuff that was unresolved by the end. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that this is a movie that was produced by Netflix and released on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And this wouldn't be the first time that a well-known director has uh, put something out on Netflix. And I feel like in all the cases where directors do that, the movies tend to come out a little more commercial, I want to say. Yeah. Some Um, people were making comparisons to The the Irishman because that's like our most recent example of that. Was that a Netflix movie? Yeah. That's crazy. You know, so all those comments aside, I got to say, I actually like really enjoyed the movie overall. Mm -hmm. It was nice and long. It was, all things aside, pretty immersive. And I feel like this is something that people say a lot as kind of like a throwaway line, but I really mean it. Like just fantastic performances from the main (laughs) cast. Yeah. Especially the, um, I I can't think of the name, but like the the bad guy. The 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 bad guy? The more troubled of the group. Yeah. His character's name is Paul, and that actor's name is uh, Delroy Lindo, uh-huh. which I know the guy's face, and I'm sure I've just seen him in a bunch of stuff, but when I was watching this, I was like, I couldn't name a single movie that guy was in. Uh-huh. Did you look but, it up? Yeah, I looked it up, and but none, none of them really like jumped out to me, where I'm like, uh-huh. that's the one that I know him from, mm-hmm. and I, I guess maybe that's just a result of him not being like maybe the lead character in most of the movies that I've seen him in. Well, people know him now. Hell yeah. For sure. I do have some things to say about the performances, like, as a whole. Um, and there's also some recycled actors from Black Klansmen in here. Yeah, no uh, name. yeah. Can we just get um, into those real quickly? Because I, <laughs> I have, just have, like, some throwaway stuff to say about them. You're referring sure. to, like, the two the white, people. white supremacists from yeah. the previous movie. That, uh-huh. like, not only are they the same actors, but they're reused in this movie, and they're also buddies in this movie. <laughs> yeah. But they're, like, the exact opposite of white supremacists. Yeah. As far as those characters that you could think of. They're, they're like, like, super, like, liberal, save the planet. We have this whole nonprofit organization dedicated to, like, dismantling landmines. Right, guys. right. <laughs> and they play a pivotal role in the movie, yeah. which is, like, a weird mechanic that they that they employed. Um but because that they were those like really dislikable characters and black clansmen, I mm-hmm. like couldn't care less when that guy died. Yeah, it had like no emotional impact on me. I feel like it it was that was a symptom of uh, that like what you said that, that he was a white supremacist in the other movie, but also just like that those characters aren't developed at all. Like, yeah, we just don't exactly, care. Exactly. We don't they, care about them. They didn't put any time into like convincing me again that this guy is like a good guy. It only dawned on me like when the, the the person of their group that does survive the French the French woman, mm-hmm. um, she visibly uh, grieves when he dies, and then only after seeing that I'm like, oh yeah, like that guy, like what a tragedy that this like it's civilian. Kind of a ri- it is kind of a ridiculous like Tarantino moment when he like uh, dies. Absolutely, he, there's this like close up of like a a trigger. Like this guy's like got him in his sights with an AK-47 and he's running away. He's about to pull the trigger and the guy just explodes. On a landmine. (laughs) It's not like his body like flies up and it's like, oh, maybe he's still okay. It's like his body like is exploded into pieces. Yeah. But yeah, that's just an example of an absolutely over the top action violence sequence. The kind that Quentin Tarantino likes to do. Totally. Like in um, Django, when he yeah. shoots that person and they fly perpendicular to the trajectory of the bullet, mm-hmm. just like completely unphysical violence. I-, I got that vibe a lot from this movie. Yeah. But anyways, those characters are purposely sort of in the background. And I didn't care about them. Mm-hmm. But no, you were saying <laughs> um, about their performances? Yeah. I mean, like, I don't... This This might be like an unpopular opinion. I don't think any of those people we just talked about are particularly good actors. I think that the the scrawny guy got a lot of like high praise in Black Klansman because he uh-huh. was like the super psycho guy. Yeah. But I was always just like, I don't really like it. <laughs> like I didn't care <laughs> for his performance. I think that Delroy Lindo 
is amazing. So I like I'm on the same page with everybody there. I think that um, the guy who plays Otis, he's like the one person from the party that survives. Uh huh. I think he's a pretty good actor, and I think I really like the son, the younger guy. Yeah, yeah. And then the woman. I think all of those people are good actors, but everyone else feels like a little B squad to me. Yeah, especially the. Um... I didn't really pick up on this when I saw it. Uh, Stacy actually pointed it out to me. The Vietnam woman that one of the main characters had a love affair with. Uh-huh. Not affair, whatever it was. But that her acting was just abysmal. Yeah. I think everything about that corner of the movie is weird to me. <laughs> we'll just say, like, the uh, one of the main characters, Otis, it is revealed very early on that he had a love child while he was serving in vietnam like with this woman and then when he comes back i don't know like what 40 40 50 years later also just a really quick throwaway thing i love how they're not like de-aged in any way like on the flashbacks they all just look exactly the same yeah yeah a great mechanic i mean so so Mm -hmm. like in all the flashback scenes they just Mm -hmm. play themselves yeah but not like in a cheesy way like back in the 80s when people didn't have good makeup technology that Mm -hmm. they just looked really out of place this mm-hmm. was like a deliberate move. Oh, well, I understood that it was like a budgetary thing. You think so? That's what I've heard oh. and read. That it was like Spike Lee wanted to kind of do like an Irishman thing where he like CG de-aged them. Really? But like that just wasn't in the budget. And so they're just them huh. as they are. But whatever. It didn't really distract from the movie. So I guess there's a lesson to be learned there about what you can achieve by just using the same people. That's interesting. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie. It's like one mm-hmm. of the most distinguishable things that I can't think of any other movie doing. Mm-hmm. What was I saying? Oh, so the the Vietnamese woman that Otis had a love child with, he discovers her, you know, after like 30 years or something. He like comes and visits her because she's sort of like an integral part of getting the gold like back to America. Like she has connections that can make that work, which... By the way, what a great coincidence. <laughs> yeah. That, that you just like have someone in your life that's connected that way, that you also have a child with. Right. But I do feel like the whole, like, I have this child with this person is so just like brushed over. It just is like presented like, oh, that's my daughter. That's crazy. And then you never hear about it again. Until well, it comes like, back. It comes the back at the end. Very end. But then, like, even then, it's just, like, the line is literally, like, oh, my gosh, my father, I've missed you, I love you, or something. There's no, like, dealing with what it's like growing up, like, fatherless in Vietnam and your, like, dad being a soldier that you never met and maybe thought, maybe you thought he was dead. Well, I thought that was deliberate because her, her character is played in a way that she has absolutely no soul right <laughs> I just go, go I guess back, so go to this timestamp. go to like um in the end when she shows up back again go to two hours 25 minutes there's the creepiest shot of the both of them after they reconcile um, of them like coming towards the camera yeah yeah i mean that made my my skin crawl it's a <laughs> how unsettling it very much like a kind of us moment i think it's like a spike lee thing like that type of shot uh-huh. All I'm saying is that like the connection between these two characters is extremely unmotivated. I don't I know think. what it does for the movie. That whole dynamic I think is like the weakest part of the movie by a long shot is they just like don't deal with that in any way. It's just like here she is at the beginning, here she is at the end and everything's fine. Like there's no like diving into the relationship at all. The only other thing that it, like it directly influences is the fact that that character is the one who like trusts in his Vietnamese lover and mm-hmm. by proxy trusts in that French guy that double crosses him at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, his character is when the when Paul is kind of like going off on his really paranoid rants about how they're they can't be trusted. Otis mm-hmm. is the one that always says, like, no, they're cool, they're cool, because of his trust in that Vietnamese woman. Yeah, that's true. But that whole plot, the whole setup with, like, the French guy that double-crosses them in the end just feels so... Leon the professional. Yeah. 
It feels like an <laughs> 80s action movie level yeah. of like motivation for a bad guy. Yeah. He's definitely like a Bond villain. Definitely. Like all white suit and has like a silenced pistol like at the end. Why does he? And that, he has a grenade. Yeah, he has a grenade. He <laughs> carries around a grenade ready to He's use like, this is combat. all I need. This is all I need is like my silenced pistol and one grenade. And a very <laughs> nice suit. Right. I'm glad you pointed that out. I had the same thought. I mean, so I, I guess like all of that in mind, this movie is going for like a pretty ridiculous tone, right? If you just accept how like crazy this movie is from the get-go, you'll have a much better time. Yeah. But I think I spent a lot of this movie trying to figure out like, what is this movie? <laughs> and it like uh, didn't do any favors for my watching experience. I still had a good time, but it, it definitely doesn't. Uh, subscribe to kind of normal movie making techniques no no and and i think you're right if you like can't accept it for its craziness it can be enjoyable Mm -hmm. um but the the way the movie starts you know the first full hour of this movie does not give you any indication of where it's going to end up towards the end no i mean when you watch it at first it kind of feels like it's almost going to be like a family comedy Maybe that's like too innocent of a, a way to put it, but at no point did I feel like it was going to turn into like a blood fest by the end. But maybe there's like that's part of the signaling is that it's dealing with a lot of different relevant themes about our current political climate. Every time I like think about this movie, I'm trying to like see it through that lens or like anything I'm like, that's weird. I'm trying to think, is that like on purpose, like to make me subvert my expectations about movies and just the world mm-hmm. you know which i think it it it's effective in doing that like it's effective in like taking me out of the movie watching experience enough to make me like very actively think about what it's trying to tell me so i guess this like, is something that spike lee does but his characters often go into monologues that are very deliberate like when he does engage with current social issues it's done through the characters and it's done very deliberately. Like they're basically just talking at the audience. Yeah. Which I like. It's a kind of a fourth wall break. Like the, uh, you're talking about the Lindo monologue at the end where he like is basically like in full jungle madness mode. Uh-huh. Like he's basically talking to the camera. That too, but also mm-hmm. like um, the monologues by, by Storm and Norman, their friend that died in the war yeah um you know back at during the vietnam war era and uh just a lot of the dialogue is just like no subtlety about it really yeah i mean they directly reference like mlk there's footage of mlk like a couple times they talk about like malcolm x and they say how like they literally say in the script that like chadwick boseman the norman character that he is their version of mlk and malcolm x rolled into one which is something that you could do in subtext with other scripts but they're just like, this is who this character is. <laughs> right, right. Along those lines, I'm just going to like read off like a few themes that I think this movie is like trying to like give lip service to like each one of these. And there's a lot. So there's like war, okay. just like the regular turmoil of war. There's PTSD, which I consider separate from war. There's in quotes, slave labor of blacks in war. Is this your list? Did you construct this? Yes, I'm reading off of something I wrote down. Oh, wow. You did your homework. Uh, post-war Vietnam. So, like, they deal with, like, the anxieties of, like, the Vietnamese people and how they perceive, like, American soldiers who fought in the war. There's fatherhood as it relates to Lindo and his son. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then there's fatherhood as it relates to... Uh, Otis and his daughter and then like the cherry on top which is I think kind of the pervasive theme throughout the whole movie is the oppression and killing of blacks in America that's what I was gonna say that was yeah. like the, the number one one that seems mm-hmm. to kind of center this whole thing it's it's uh interesting how like, like of course you reference like kind of the current social and political moment but when Spike Lee made this movie it was presumably like a year ago yeah it's definitely like before the George Floyd stuff uh-huh. and like all of the protests and riots that ensued afterwards. So I don't know exactly like what the post-production timeline of this was, but extremely relevant, like in a way that I don't think anybody could have predicted, right? 
Right. Do you think there's any chance that, like, the last scene of the Black Lives Matter protesters, like, modern-day protesters... Was shot, like, afterwards? Yeah, that... You think it was shot afterwards? You're talking about, like, there's, like, a committee of... Or not committee, but, like, a group of, like, Black Lives Matter, like, activists, like, in a room, and they're like, we just gotta check, right? It just occurred to me that that's not a real scene. Oh. You thought it was, like, footage from something? Right, well, because in the last movie of black Klansman, he put in real footage at the end of the film this is this is like uh a weird thing that spike lee does that i noticed like pretty heavily in this movie where he will like show you like real stuff right it to be this movie is no exception it's like real footage of uh, the Vietnamese War and like different protests and MLK stuff at the beginning of this movie does some of the same at the end, and then like throughout, it also kind of like has these like stylized cutaways to like photos mm-hmm. of different people. The people that they're referencing like sometimes are historical, and may even be like the real photo of that person, like the real person, mm-hmm. but like. Just as a counterexample to that, at the end, when it's sort of the montage of all the checks being distributed, he kind of shows you these photos or uh, kind of like in memoriam photos of the characters who died, but they're not real. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, right. Of the actors. There's like photos of like the actors who played like the people who died in this movie. And it's done in such a way that, like, other movies presented it. Like, here's the person that this character is based off of. It did confuse me. Because I know that Spike Lee, like, does that in his films. Uh That he'll put, like, real stuff in there. That when those photos popped up of the actors as having died in the Vietnam War, that I had to do, like, a double take. Yeah, it's this really confusing, like, mixture of, like, real life stuff and fictional stuff but presented in like the exact same format huh and i don't i don't really know what to make of that but back to like the black lives matter thing the this was your question like uh do you think the black lives matter scene was like filmed like afterwards like closer to when all this happened oh yeah i don't think so just because like if they're just trying to be like responsible like covid social distancing that would seem like a big ask but i don't know my guess is just no yeah i mean because that's, that's my, like 30 that, people like in a room <laughs> that's my assumption too but it just yeah. seems so timely like mm-hmm. it, that that it worked out circumstantially that it made me like think about it again yeah i mean i don't know for sure but like it is pretty wildly uh timely mm-hmm. and like we should say like black lives matter like the movement like didn't go away for however long right it's still there it's just like now like back in the optics of everyone Mm -hmm. in In a big way Mm -hmm. so i think of all people it would make sense that they would show up in a spike lee movie and like i don't know maybe it's just coincidental or maybe it's just fate that like it released at this time yeah, no, that's a good question. But just another comment, like in general, on the the way like Spike Lee likes to intersplice real life, like political context into his movies. I like it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's very like him style. Mm-hmm. But he really leans into like using movies as kind of uh, political. It's like a platform. Uh, yeah, speaking. yeah, yeah. Political platform. It's. Mm-hmm. It doesn't shy away from that at all. It's actually like pretty direct with it. That's a yeah. Grace and I had a pretty good discussion about this, where like I have a hard time with this movie because it's so, in my eyes, unlike a normal movie. Mm-hmm. And if you are okay with that and just accept it as that, and realize that it's actually has a higher purpose and that that's actually like spike lee's thing is that he he sees the platform of talking about important issues in a film as greater than uh just making like what's traditionally accepted as a great piece of filmmaking then you like can see what see it for what it is and appreciate it much more yeah because we should say like I, i guess kind of more of the norm of trying to like send messages through your movies is to do it more subtly mm-hmm. in, in such a way that 
somebody afterwards will have to kind of like unpack your movie and try to figure out what you were saying yeah spike lee's having none of that yeah he's like here's the message (laughs) i'm putting it on full display there's like a few things in the movie where they feel like really deliberate subtext i don't know i don't even really understand like how much subtext it has at all just because it's very on the surface but there's this uh part where one of the the characters is like dying two hours and 19 minutes Uh uh-huh where like this black man is like laying on the ground and he's dying he survives but it's otis's character or otis and he's laying there and he's about to be shot by leon the professional and he has like a maga hat like on his chest Mm -hmm. that imagery of like this white man who's in this like completely white suit while this black man is on the ground like being shot like with a maga hat on it like it seems like there's some some sort of like imagery going on there and i just can't really quite tell what it is is it that like trump is like adding to the problem of like violence against blacks in america or is it just the white man and blacks in america is it all of that it just seems like there's a lot of moving parts here yeah for sure i should say that like even without any digging the 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 maga hat which is in basically the whole movie. Like almost every scene of the movie, Paul yeah. is is wearing the hat. And then when he dies, like the hat gets transferred to other characters, which I think is like obviously very deliberate. Yeah. Like it makes its way from like Paul to the Vietnamese militia Quan. guy. Quan, I think his name is. But it makes it from Paul to Quan to the French bad guy mm-hmm. uh, very deliberately. But it, as an object, like, in the movie, in the frame, it's something that it seems to, like, draw my attention very much. Totally. I'm like, there it is. That's yeah. the hat, and it's right there in the scene, and that guy is I, wearing it. It's such a striking, like, divisive piece of imagery to, like, include in a film. It's almost like you're just like purposely stoking the fire when you choose to use that image Mm -hmm. like you said i mean there's like no subtlety about it it's like this is a fucking maga hat like direct commentary like on the current president right yeah i just don't really know like once it it moves away from paul like i assume that like once it it leaves paul this is like a big discussion i had with grace where like i'm not really sure of what to make of paul's like trumpism Uh in this movie and like by the end like what i'm supposed to believe about it or if that even matters because it seemed like early in this movie they made a big deal about like ooh, there's this character who is a former vietnam vet and black and is like back in the day was very like fighting the man and like fighting the injustices of blacks in america but now he's like a trump supporter and it it seemed like it was setting up some sort of like redemptive narrative specifically surrounding that like his political leanings for me it kind of more so was just about his like redemption as someone who suffers from ptsd and like accidentally like murdering his his fellow soldier it never felt like the trump thing like nothing ever really happened with him on that Mm -hmm. so i don't really know what to make of like when the maga hat like leaves or like when it is on other characters or whatever well i mean at face value, it like immediately makes you dislike the character that's wearing it. Mm-hmm. Which I think, like, what do you think of Paul's arc? By the end of the movie, he hasn't really. It's certainly not a redemptive arc. I mean, like, you could you can make an argument both ways, right? Because I mean, he has that hallucination where he's forgiven by a uh, norm, uh-huh. and I think it's implied that uh, the letter that he gives to his son, you know, that's like him sort of admitting to all of this stuff and like trying to be the good guy at the end but yeah i mean like the last they see of him he's like wandering into the jungle with his gold and then dies right in terms of like tactile change there's really nothing that that happens other than implied like internal change yeah do you think that he like his character is interesting i'm not sure how to read him yeah i I thought he was crazy for like most of the movie like obviously mm-hmm. the more paranoid all the group members but he was actually like dead on and calling like all of the impending danger he was dead right about saying like the french guy couldn't be trusted that they are the ones that like oh, right. sent out the the, the the vietnamese hitman to go after them 
Mm-hmm. Ultimately, he was like pretty much right about the whole thing. And if they maybe would have listened to him completely from the beginning, uh, maybe things could have gone differently. I will say that like he was definitely like uh, appropriately cautious of all of the right people. But like it doesn't mean he wasn't like a fucking dick for a big portion of it. It also doesn't like, mean he's not crazy. Like for him right. to think those things, like I think uh-huh. even he, even if he's right, he's still crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he turned like, out it, to be right. Like I remember the the scene where they're like trying to make a deal with the French guy. Maybe it's just like the way my brain works. I'm like, okay, I get it. They're trying to like get the gold back, go and find the gold and get it out of the country. Whatever, that's the objective. And surely that's like a difficult thing to achieve. And like the one person that you have like a connection to like make this work with, you're just like blasting him with like insults about war and like anti-German insults to this French guy. Yeah. And it's just like, regardless of what you think, like, it's just, what are you here for? Like, (laughs) it just seems like the wrong thing to do in that situation. It goes even further where uh, when they discover like the gun and there's this back and forth of like, why do you have a gun? Everyone else gets really upset. And he's like, I should have the gun. And it, they get the gun away from him because he's really unstable. Uh-huh. But then he gets really upset. And they just give the gun back to him. <laughs> like, I just don't understand that. At every point along this movie, they establish more and more for us, the audience, and everyone else in the party, that Paul is a really unstable guy. Uh huh. And so... For at any point for a character to logically be like, here's the only gun, like, I just didn't get that. Is that part of, like, maybe something we're supposed to dig into? That, like, the craziest guy in the group with the loudest voice and quickest to violence is, like, the person that comes out on top? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, the loudest voice is the one that has the last word. But Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's hard to say. I, I don't know where to stand on this character. It, in the scene when he's, like... Um, colliding with the with the french guy at the first time it it plays off as him just being unstable Mm -hmm. it's pretty clear that like he's not making the right moves that he's like scaring off this person that they need for their Mm -hmm. mission and he's like he's right he's like the only one in the room that smelled anything fishy possibly yeah even if he can't identify the uh the nationality of the of the guy in the white suit yeah, I don't really know what to make of the character either. He's obviously like the standout character in all of this and is the one that you should pay the most attention to and has the most stuff going on. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of different ways that you could slice it. Grace and I talked about this at length last night where I wasn't quite convinced that he was fully redeemed by the end. And I also... I didn't think he was like, redeemed at all. And I didn't really understand like what was supposed to be made of his like Trumpian kind of allegiance. Uh-huh. That just was never addressed, and I feel like that's a pretty relevant thing to forego. If you're gonna like not be subtle, like that's a, a strange thing to omit from the script. It it does seem like him being not subtly ambiguous. Do you know what I mean? No, what? <laughs> it just feels like we're not like I don't think we're supposed to have like a clear reading on this guy. Yeah, I think I guess... Spike Lee was like, there's going to be this character, you know, he's like uh, a black Vietnam vet, but he's also a Trump supporter. Uh, he's very violent, but also it turns out he was right. Just like interns furiously taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> this way, I-, I think he's supposed to be uh-huh. ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. And that's fine. It's a good thing to have like a gray character like that. Yeah. And I think it helps to sort of paint this picture of like very complex people like in the world where I do think this guy had like some redeeming parts of his story. I mean, obviously, like uh, his whole reconciliation with like the ghost of Norm, I think, was like as redemptive as it got. But he ended up dying and nothing really came of that. But that's also like reflective of real life in, in some degree, like not everyone is like black and white good guy bad guy this guy had a lot of internal demons that you saw him struggling with and you could say that the the trump allegiance was a result of his ptsd but that was like the government's fault in the first place and his the ending to his story was like tragic nevertheless something that you could understand someone going through so there's probably just more to that character than we can sum up in the amount of time that we're recording here yeah, which is three more minutes. So now I want to talk about this uh, landmine scene. Uh, which one? I mean, like, you have plenty to choose from. 
There's a few landmines in this movie. There's several. There's several. Both like physical and like political. <laughs> Good one. Grace called it too, like even uh, earlier than I did, where just the the presence of the French girl and like what they do, like in that bar scene. Yeah. Like foreshadows like there's going to be a landmine. It's like someone's going to step on a landmine. It's at some too point in this movie. specific to run into a, <laughs> like run into a group of people at a bar and they do this very specific job yeah. of like cleaning out <laughs> landmines from the war 50 years later. Yeah. So whenever like uh, they first discover the gold, we were already like super tense. Oh, like really? when the metal when the metal detector came out, she's like this is where they're going to find some landmines for sure. I uh I and- thankfully didn't even think about that. I was paying very close attention through that whole sequence of like how close people were together. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because I was like, it's just going to be one character, right? Yeah. Like one character is going to step on the landmine. And so I was seeing like, who's the furthest away from the group. That's like, so that's, funny. That's going to be the landmine victim. I should say when the first guy did get hit by the landmine, I like called it, but just because of the fucking weird way that he was just kind of like, stepping backwards backwards. i'm like why are you walking backwards so no one does that unless they're about to like dramatic cinematically step on a landmine (laughs) it didn't even make sense like in the context of like the conversation they were having what was he doing he was was he talking about like where the gold should go that's right whether back to to the cause yeah and he just starts stepping away like what if you were talking to somebody and they just started stepping back like good every single word just one full pace and he gets like ridiculous like i i kind of on a very broad level understand the idea of walking backwards to sort of like address the group as a whole you know but he gets very awkwardly four steps right that's what i was gonna say like like he gets so awkwardly far away from them (laughs) like i get that like what you're saying is this like you're with a group of people then you were like okay guys right yeah we need a recoup here but he did 12 consecutive steps So anyways, I saw that coming. But man, like how fucking grisly is it after he steps on it? So violent. Both his arms and his legs are gone. And it looks like part of his like internal organs are like just kind of spewed out. Maybe blown up to his belly button. And he's just still alive for a few seconds afterwards. Yeah. Horrible. Really gruesome. I think I expected some level of violence in this movie, but like... That totally like blindsided me, yeah. like how how grisly and in my face that was. It um, reminds me. They kind of set the tone for like the level of violence that they would be okay with in the movie with the opening montage, and they show like that video of like that Vietnamese man getting executed. And I think that that's like, I don't know if you want to ascribe meaning to that. Like maybe that's the point that like the level of violence in America towards black people just doesn't make any sense. Like it's so disproportionate to anything else that you see in the world. The shock factor I think serves to kind of wake you up and like let you, make you pay attention to what you're seeing in some in some important way, but it also like I don't know if Spike Lee did this on purpose, but it also serves as a great parallel to how shocking and like nonsensical that kind of violence is. Yeah, I mean so that initial the very first violent scene in the movie it it really takes the movie from like zero to a hundred super fast and were you like me like when that happened they spent zero time dealing with the consequences of their friend dying because immediately afterwards a bunch of other stuff happens yeah i felt exactly the same way because immediately afterwards is when the sun steps on the mine right which and they have to deal with the tension of that situation it immediately transfers from the friend dying to the sun stepping on the thing like which if they wanted to narratively they could have put a little bit pause there there's no Uh reason the sun had to step on the mine at that exact moment this is the sequence of events eddie's blown up by the landmine and then the uh son accidentally steps on a landmine and then right after that is when the the white people kind of stumble upon their party yeah and all the and that's when they go through the whole putting like the rope around him and like trying to get him off of that that super tense scene but all the while i'm like their friend is like just off screen that's just a torso like did the did the white people like not see that like when they yeah. when they came up? Yeah, he very quickly got forgotten. Right, he doesn't he isn't even in it at all. Like beyond that point, they just show him like 
or they show like them knocking the grave marker into the ground right but like he's not in it at all after that what a weird scene and i don't maybe there's something at the end that i forgot about but it doesn't seem like anybody's like coming coming back to get him you know they just like leave him in the jungle there like buried in the jungle and i'm like that doesn't seem right But whatever, I don't I don't know how whatever. what you do in that situation. <laughs> the whole aspect of how like they were kind of obviously this is post war Vietnam, mm-hmm. but they're going back and all of this like wartime action sequences happens. I find that kind of interesting. Just like the idea of like going back to a war zone fifty years afterwards. Yeah. When like everybody's just like hanging out at bars and then like people mm-hmm. are just like running through the jungle like it's still the wartime. It's just like mm-hmm. such a juxtaposition. Uh, especially since like they very deliberately show like how Vietnam is this like thriving economy in those like city scenes uh-huh like everything is just normal and like first world at least in the areas that they were that reminds me of something um I'm I, I'm bummed out you haven't seen Watchmen yet because in the Watchmen show like obviously you know from the movie that in the parallel Watchmen world America won Vietnam yeah with the help right. of Dr. Manhattan so in the mm-hmm. future it actually turns out they just made Vietnam into another U.S. state Oh, okay. So the main character of the Watchmen HBO show was born in Vietnam, and she's like an American citizen. But in that show, they make like a point of showing Vietnam as like this, basically, like almost like a Disneyland of America. Okay. A completely like commercialized and like modernized space. Hmm. But in this movie, the the way they show it is like not too far off from what they were showing in that world. Right. Like it's been modernized. And I had like a big brain moment where I'm like... (laughs) This is dumb, but it's like, oh, like the, you know, the U.S. can like colonize places with force and also by its culture. And that's how <laughs> like it just like westernizes these places. Yeah. They even kind of say that. They're like, oh, we didn't even need to fight the war. We just needed to send over Mickey D's, oh, they did Burger say King, yeah. Burger King and the Colonel. And yeah. like that would have solved the problem. <laughs> so, yeah, you're you're onto something there big brain time what do you think about the music in the movie i'm not a huge like music head i i do know it it feels a lot like war specifically vietnam war movies is the music significant i think so so like um in the end of the movie so they use a lot of like late 60s 70s kind of post motown black protest songs in particular they use a lot of tracks from this one marvin gay album what's going on okay and so um and something like the montage scenes at the end of the movie where it's just like one person singing they took the vocal track from marvin gay from that album and we're just playing that without all the instrumentals mm. yeah it, it, it like came from somewhere historical it's like Got regarded it. as like one of the top protests um albums got it but anyways i just like i've actually been playing that album for like a few months now as i'm I'm, uh, educating myself on the like black music in the u.s from the 60s through the 70s motown and funk and stuff listening to some dope ass funk albums there's that sounds awesome it sounds great send me some stuff i will i i would actually appreciate because i think that you have a better pulse on like music history than i do and so like whatever you can like send my way to also educate me would be helpful nice but anyway so like the album the the soundtrack of that movie like i really enjoyed cool it was great and they were like even singing lyrics from that album uh the characters in the movie so i think it was like a very deliberate choice what'd you think of when uh otis like just dumps out his drugs on the ground like dumps all his pills out they came back later yeah or like maybe someone else had like the same pills Uh i think but it it just seemed like this kind of along the same lines as like the gun thing i'm like what are you doing like you just like making a statement like dumping out all of your medication like the character on what's on what's gonna presumably be like a very hard intense like multiple day hike yeah and you're just like i don't need these that's like the first instance (laughs) that they had said anything about that character possibly having a substance abuse problem and also Uh the last time they ever talk about it right so like and it's not even like earlier like they brought it up just add like one more thing to that like themes list like the opioid epidemic in america yeah so many things oh my god like nobody even as i remember called him out that harshly i don't think anybody even said anything no he was just like what do you guys Like, what are you guys trying to say that I'm an addict? Dumps all his pills out. Can you imagine <laughs> just somebody doing that to you? 
Yeah, like, whoa, like, I'm sorry, man. Like, you didn't have to do that. You're not even paying attention to them. And they're like, oh, you have some kind of fucking problem with me taking my Advil? <laughs> huh? You think I need this shit? That's awesome. Whoa, man. Uh, the only other thing on my list is, like, the final showdown. Yeah, I mean, I just don't, I didn't like it that much, right? Like, by that point, I think, like, the movie had really just gone off rails. One of my biggest, like, oh, here we go. Let me talk about this. I think the whole, like, them kidnapping of, like, the white people and then, like, holding them hostage and then, like, the ensuing, like, firefights that they got into. Uh-huh. While watching the movie, I'm like, all of this seems avoidable. Like, why did they need to kidnap those, the white people? Like, is it just because they were afraid of being compromised by, uh, being compromised where, like, they would need to tell people, like, why they were actually there and maybe they couldn't get the gold out? sort of situation yeah well that's initially like what what paul said but it came off crazy like i thought he was just overreacting and being like getting ptsd flashbacks and thinking that yeah. the situation was a lot more serious than it was but everyone else like went along with it even after he kind of left they eventually like over like take back control and they like knock him out but like early on like everybody's just like playing ball with this like hostage situation right and i couldn't tell if it was because they kind of like thought it was a good idea or because maybe they were just so afraid of paul like maybe he was actually just such a danger that they knew to not push it yeah yeah i couldn't quite tell they were basically being held hostage hostage themselves at that point right Uh, what do you think of the the son character he's like jacked as fuck yeah (laughs) i loved like what he was wearing well it was like a t-shirt right (laughs) Well, if you say it like that, I sound dumb. <laughs> a t-shirt? <laughs> he just looked like so modern. Like, uh, yeah, like, he had like, like a kid cool, who would pick off the streets. Super cool, like modern clothes uh-huh. compared to all the geezers that he's on this trip with. And so it's just kind of funny. Like, um, there's a little bit of humor in him just kind of being out of his depth. Yeah. And, uh, adapting to it, but it just, it was obviously he was out of place. I love like the. I will say I really like the cinematography, like, across the board in this movie. Yeah. And there's, like, one specific, like, set of shots that I like where it's when the sun shows up at the beginning and he's having to talk to the group about why he's there. Uh Uh-huh. And they have this, like, super, like, tight, wide-angle shot of him that's kind of, like, at at a high angle and he's, like, drinking orange juice or something. Yeah. And the reverse shot is of the group, like, kind of looking down at him. But he looks just like such a little fucking boy. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. He looks like a child compared to the rest of them. Exactly. And it has something to do with like the camera and also just like the way he's like holding the glass and his his shirt also seems like maybe a little too small. (laughs) Yeah, he's got this great Nike hat. But we were talking about the final showdown before we were talking about like the hostage thing. And you said you didn't like it. Because just, like, everybody died. At- yeah, a lot of people not, died. Not, not quite of an ending, really. I mean, like, one person survived, and it was the guy that had the, the uh, estranged daughter, and then they reconcile, and that's the end of the movie. But that was not a relationship that was really built up that much. I didn't and care she, about that relationship. And she barely said all. anything at all. And then they had that creepy scene with them smiling. And I thought yeah. that for sure he had also died. Because <laughs> they hadn't quite concluded yet, it felt to yeah. me, like, the fight scene. Like, I thought they were just cutting... Uh, scenes i will just say like the whole like line that she delivers when they like finally see each other again it's just like my father like i've missed you or i love you or something like that it just it feels so weird and artificial to me it made perfect sense to me because i thought that like he was in like purgatory or something yeah (laughs) if you look at it that that way that makes a lot of sense i was so sure yeah i mean if like if you're if you like didn't know your father was alive or not and like you realized that he was american and like you realize maybe your your mother's been like lying to you or either way like you don't have this father figure in your life and now all of a sudden he's here you don't immediately go to like oh my god i love you it just it felt a little strange to me Last thing I, w- I want to talk about, Chadwick Bo... <laughs> Excuse me, <laughs> Morty. <laughs> uh, okay. Chadwick, Bo- Chadwick Boseman. Um, he's the guy who plays Black Panther. Oh, cool, cool. It's interesting because I, I didn't see much about this movie in terms of like promotional material, but I knew that Chadwick was in it. And I'm like, oh, he's going to be a big part because <laughs> he's like a huge actor like yeah. compared to the rest of them. And I feel like he's not really in it that much. Uh-huh. I mean, I feel like the the flashbacks are kind of few and far between in this movie. I'd like to see like a graph of 
how much of what is what in this movie but i agree if you broke it down you would find that he has a uh, minimal screen time despite being a very important character right like to the story yeah um as far as the movie goes is not a huge character and maybe that's another like lesson here where maybe the most like motivationally driving character in the whole movie but really you're just seeing echoes of him uh-huh. throughout like you're not really getting a deep dive into who that character was or why he was the way he was he's just kind of there kind of this like mystic story that these like guys tell themselves now uh-huh. and i don't know maybe that means something else where like the greatest and like inspiring stories in our lives like you didn't have any direct contact with that person but like just the what they stood for lives on because i mean like he's the analog for these guys specifically like mlk and malcolm x like they said so maybe he's just like elevated to this he's like more than a man he's he's representative of like a cause and an idea and so therefore like maybe the character doesn't need to be developed or shouldn't be developed is there like a uh, any kind of like straightforward kind of economic explanation for this that like the most big time actor would be giving a very minimal amount of screen time is it something that's like done the budget on this movie is like super small do you think that's could explain it then could be yeah is that like a deal you can make with like a big time name that like we all need you to come in for this one scene because all his shots were like um done on whatever the vietnam set they had yeah they were just in vietnam but yeah they were just i think they were shooting (laughs) in vietnam the vietnam, the vietnam set, set is vietnam. the ultimate vietnam set <laughs> <laughs> vietnam simulator <laughs> but yeah i think i think so but it's not like his presence was missed in the movie because like you said his character is like an overbearing presence and mm-hmm. a lot of the screen time in the movie uh if he's not in it is made up of the characters grappling with him in a very direct way so yeah. you know if they could only use him for like that many scenes out of the movie i think they used him really well mm-hmm. any other thoughts Overall, I really enjoyed the movie. I, I'm not a huge fan of how much of an action movie it is. And and we didn't even talk about this, but just one, like, aside is how uh, fake the CGI on, like, the bullet blasts are. They look yeah. like a, a texture pack for, like, Fallout or something. Like a blood yeah. texture pack that you would download. It's like a, it's like a small-time filmmaker, like, asset thing that you can download. <laughs> just like all like preset like blood splatter and like muzzle flashes yeah yeah very indie filmmaker-esque um so anyways i don't know like how well this movie like works as an action movie but i really enjoyed i think more than anything else in in the in the movie were the characters um especially paul i think was mm-hmm. just an outstanding guy to watch so overall i give this movie a strong eight to a strong 8.5 glasses of orange juice out of 10. Ooh, wow. Surprised me with that good one this week. Yeah. Okay. Well, you brought it up. I just kind of stole it from you. Oh. You said it earlier. Okay. <laughs> my final thoughts on this movie are that I actually really enjoyed my watching experience. And I think that it's overall a really good and important movie. I think if you can get past the weird kind of Spike Lee stuff and all of like the bizarre choices that we've discussed at nauseum, you're going to have a really good time. So that's just like the only prereq to watching this movie. And beyond that, I think it's pretty great. And I also just, it gets love for me because of uh, Kevin Wilmot, my old professor, helped write it. For all of that, I'm going to give this a 7.5 lamb t-shirts out of 10 oh yeah what a ridiculous logo thanks again for listening to our bonus episode this week our music is by w look them up at underscore w on instagram that's underscore the word double and two u's editing this week is done by me trevor mowry of all people Wherever you're listening, give us a good rating. Connect with us at at FilmholePod on Twitter and Instagram. And thanks again. We'll see you next week. So that sets us up for next week, which is the Batman double feature. Do you want to do the pre-show for this one? I mean, I'm happy to do it. But I also, I like just like getting stuff from other people. So if you've got ideas, just shoot it my way. Uh, you could play SpongeBob SquarePants, the Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy, like the obvious Batman and Robin uh, kind yeah. of knockoff characters. I think that'd be good. I love that like those are kind of like Batman characters, but they're 
costumes are like derivative of Aquaman. Ah, you're right. Yeah, that is true. And obviously they're kind of aquarium based superheroes. Aquarium based. (laughs) (laughs) It's so lame. They're like human. It doesn't make any sense. They are human. Yeah, that's like they're They're... like the only human characters in the show. Unexplained. I think that um, I always found the episodes with them kind of weird and I, and I can't quite place it, but I think it has to do with the fact that it's it kind of like breaks the world up to have two humans there. I like them. Like they're not even the right scale. And it's weird because the SpongeBob universe establishes that there are like real humans yeah. that exist <laughs> that are like full, like full size real humans. Right, right. That's in the canon. I love like Mermaid Band's voice. <laughs> it's just like always kind of raspy. Evil. Evil. The waveform of what I just said looks really weird. 